Welcome to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are Christian Disciples in Mission. Well, good morning. And thank you for coming to this workshop where we're going to be talking about Gen Z. And we are just like you. We've got Gen Zers in our lives that we just absolutely love. So anyone under 20 is a Gen Zer, um, the generation that came right after millennials. And so we've got three of them in our family. And we'd just like you to think about that Gen Zer, whether it's maybe a niece, a nephew, your own child, a grandchild, a godchild. Just want you to think about that person for a moment. Just think about when they first entered your life, however that was. Maybe it was through birth. Maybe it was through adoption. Maybe it was um, through some other circumstance. Maybe it's one of your kid's friends. And I just want you to think about when you first met that person, when you first saw that person, your hopes that you had for them, the things that you could imagine for them, the ways that maybe you were going to influence them or parent them. And it probably had something to do with the way that you were raised, the experience that you had. And now let's just admit that all of that has changed because we're just living in a totally different world. These kids are growing up in a different world than we grew up in. The way that we need to approach that as parents is totally different, parents and influencers. So our mantra for today is good parents parent. <laughs> so you being here today means that you are a good parent. And we're just kind of using this mantra as a way to just remind us, to um, encourage us, and to strengthen us kind of with a battle cry that we are going to support each other. That as a community, whether you have your own children or you are involved in the lives of children as a teacher, a minister, a grandparent, a godparent, an influencer, that we need to work together to help these kids face challenges that we've never seen before. This is Jill Bagshaw. I am Scott Bagshaw. We have the same last name because we're married. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we uh, met about 20 years ago in ministry. Uh, we got married about 18 or so years ago. This coming May. Um, with that, uh, Jill does some of the music ministry here. She works with the young adult ministry. And I work with Life Teen, our high school youth. We have three kids of our own, um, as Jill mentioned. And I want to show you a picture um, of our kids. And first of all, though, this generation's weird. Do you know that this generation's weird? Like, this generation is just a strange generation. Some of you might say, oh, that's a really cute Halloween picture. This was taken yesterday before school, okay? We, we have a, a, a mouse, a fox, and a really pale kid that only got that from your side of the family. Um, but... With our kids, when we look at Gen Z, we're like, this is a different bunch. They are redefining our culture at about 70 million strong right now. And so how do we adapt to this? And what does this look like? So I want to find out who's in the room. So elementary, if you have an elementary or maybe you're a grandparent of an elementary kid, K through 5, would you just raise your hand? Wow, a lot of you guys. Fantastic. Okay, how about do you also or... Separately, have a middle schooler. Middle schooler. A couple middle schoolers. Fantastic. And then what about a high schooler? Wonderful. Okay. Good to know. So what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at, um, we're going to dive into some trends um, and some what 
what we have seen um, specifically within Gen Z. Now, about a year ago, there was a book that came out, and it was a study done by Barna and also by 360 Institute, and it is called Gen Z. This is where we're pulling a lot of our information from um, for this talk. So a lot of the stats that we mentioned, it's going to be coming right from here. And we'll have that available if you want to take a look at that at the end of this talk. So the first main theme for Gen Z, Gen Z is made up of screen-agers. This is what they've been called, screen-agers. They are extremely tech-savvy. They are extremely knowledge-based. They want to know a lot. And they're very education-focused as well. So some really good things. But we have 57% of them in this study that said that they are on technology for or more hours a day. We have 26% of them that say that they are on technology eight or more hours a day. A quarter of them. Eight or more hours a day with no breaks. That's what, 56 hours a week, right? With no vacation. This is what they're dealing with. Do we think that they're not influenced by their technology? Oh, no, my brothers and sisters. This is playing a major role in their influence. Not only that, but we're finding that it's supposed to be social media, and it's going to help us connect with each other. But this is what we're finding. 2007, the iPhone was released, and what do we see? We see loneliness rates skyrocket and continue to be on the climb. This is the generation where they feel less connected than ever before, and they are more lonely than ever before. Also, why are they more lonely? Well, they're busy. Why? On their technology. But they're not hanging out with their friends as much. Again, iPhone releases, iPhones continue to grow. Now we're finding some of the lowest um, rates that we've ever had with not hanging out with friends. They're not getting out with with likes. And so, therefore, we have a lot of other um, situations that happen because they're not getting out with those other friends. Um, we find that they are very relationally inequipped. So they're very ill-equipped to be able to deal in relational aspects. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. One quote that I want to say is that children have never been very good at listening to their elders but they have never failed to imitate them. You guys heard that? And this is the generation where they're watching their parents and their grandparents doing this. Maybe not as much as them, maybe some as much as them, but we are so distracted that sometimes we forget to even parent. So, something to be aware of. Gen Z, what else are they? They are extremely diverse they're very diverse. They're more um, racially and ethnically diverse than any previous generation. Their friendships are diverse, which is really great. There's a lot less judging going on with color of skin um, and orientation of whatever, fill in the blank. But at the same time, we have a lot of ways where um, that acceptance is being challenged. When we look at sex and gender, there's a survey done in 2016 by the J. Walter Thompson Innovation Group that found, this is staggering, 48% of Gen Z identifies as completely heterosexual. Think about this. Only 48% 
identify as completely heterosexual. So this compares to millennials um, of the same age that said 65% relate as completely heterosexual. 33%, a third, say that gender is a feeling and not a birth sex. Gender is a feeling. And a quarter of them, 24%, said that they personally know someone. These are our teenagers and less. Personally know someone that have changed their identity. This is a different world. Ten years ago, 20 years ago, this wasn't even on our radar. We weren't even having conversations um, about this. Well, was, well, that was done last year. So that, that study was just done last year. So this, all this is in um, Gen Z. The first one that I mentioned, the 48% of Gen Z identifies as completely um, heterosexual was 2016. But those last two stats are from 2018. So what else do we know about them? We know that they're career-driven. Success is a high priority and a major identity factor of Gen Z. They identify very, very closely with their career. So Gen Z ranks with professional and educational success. They rank that as their number one factor for identity. Now, take this in comparison to both millennials and Gen X, who ranked for identity, church, and family as number one and two. Those were church and family for the two generations that came before them. Now it's career. Where does career fall with, um, where's career fall with this? It falls, f- um, actually, sorry, it falls first, but family and church, it falls fifth and sixth. So Gen Z is saying, it's not that important. It falls fifth and sixth. It falls way down below. When asked to this generation, they said, what is the goal of life? They said, Happiness. Happiness is the goal of life. Okay? So if happiness is the goal of life, what makes you happy? And now we have this. This is what makes them happy. So they said success. 43% said that's the number one thing. Success makes them happy. Then they said education makes them happy at 23%. Family, 20%, right? They're getting married later. They're dating less. All of these things that are happening, having children, families less. Um, And then we have spiritual at 8%. And health at six. It's very important that we know the culture that we're ministering to, the culture that we're raising. Because these, the, these are the kids that are going to be coming over to your houses. These are the kids that we're going to be very, very much tied to. Uh, so, very interesting. Very interesting. This is also post-Christian. Gen Z is the first really um, generation that's considered post-Christian. So this means that your average teenager, um, they are very much in the minority of knowing who Jesus is. Um, 60% of Gen Z thinks that Jesus was a real person. That means that 40% of Gen Z thinks that Jesus was not a real person. What? I was on a bus um, coming back from uh, Toronto. I was headed to the airport, and... um, and in that bus, there was a kid that was sitting behind me. And she was probably about seven years old. And we went by this beautiful church. And she goes, Mommy, look, a castle. And so the mom turns to her and goes, Actually, that's a church. And at seven years old, she looks over and goes, What's a church? The mom says, The church is where Jesus lives. Because we just keep him in there. And, the, and then the kid said, Who's Jesus? This is the reality 
of our culture. Now, we might be in a little bit more of a bubble here, right, at St. Patrick, and we're very blessed sometimes to be in that bubble, but we have to be very, very aware. This is a very interesting time. We have heard of moral relativism. What's good for you is good for you, but what's good for me is good for me, right? And that there is no absolute truth. Whoa. No absolute truth. 34% of Gen Z, 34% thinks that lying is morally wrong. Only 34% think lying is morally wrong, right? This compared to 66% with the generation before them when they were teenagers. We have some work to do, my friends. We have some work to do. But there's a lot of help. Because good parents, what are we going to do? We're going to parent. We're going to parent. And we're going to continue to walk with them in that way. Yeah, there's a lot of good news, too, of course. I mean, those of us that know anyone that's under 20 know that they're extremely creative, that they um, really value education. As Scott said, they value information seeking. Um, we just are, you know, specifically focusing on some of the challenges today. But there's a lot of good news for our Gen Zers as well. We just want to kind of know the context so we kind of know how to steer and direct and help and influence. So from those trends, the statistical trends that, um, that Scott just mentioned, um, we identified four traits that we're going to talk about a little bit more today. And so the world is different from when we were growing up. And um, some of those examples are from the research that we just, just cited. We know that there's increased social isolation for our youth. That when they are polled and they're asked to identify themselves as sometimes feeling lonely, often feeling lonely, or always feeling lonely, that they are polling at the same rate as an elderly shut-in. So we haven't seen that in previous generations, just this feeling of isolation that's very pervasive and continual. We also know that their information sourcing is coming much more from the internet than from adults, or you could say people with wisdom, right? So we know that um, with the internet, we have access to all kinds of wonderful information at all times, but it also means that you may not know where that information is coming from. It might be coming from another 12-year-old, right, who maybe doesn't have a whole lot of experience in the world um, and maybe doesn't have the same type of wisdom that a teacher would have or a parent or a grandparent would have. So while Adults used to be the primary vehicles of information for kids. Now information is available in all different types of qualities and quantities coming from a variety of sources. So that means if my 12-year-old wants to learn how to French braid, she can go on YouTube and find a video, which is awesome because I was never very good at French braiding, right? I have like a helper to, to uh, help her to learn a new skill. Um, boys can go and find out how to make a slingshot or a catapult, you know, online. It's awesome. But it also means that a lot of their information about sexual education is coming from online, from any source that's out there. Maybe the highest trending, you know, um, Instagram uh, persona or wherever the information would come from or from other friends or someone that's posing as someone who is older or more knowledgeable. And it also means that they're getting a lot of their information about God and spirituality from sources that may not be the best quality sources that we would want them to get their information from. <clears throat> so just something to be aware of with our Gen Zers. And then a third, a third trait that we kind of noticed from the research is that there's a mistrust of institution. So if we think about the growing up years that we have all um, we have all experienced this in the last 20 years, but these have been the growing up years for Gen Z. They've seen the Great Recession. 
They've seen banking failure. They've seen more marriages ending in divorce than being successful. They've also seen um, this dream that if you go to college and get a degree, that you're going to be guaranteed a great paying job and be able to pay off your loans when you get out of college. Um, they've also seen um, the, the church sex abuse scandal. So many things that we as a culture have really valued as kind of like sure things. Like if you take this path, I can like pretty much guarantee that you're going to have a great life. A lot of those institutional types of things have kind of crumbled. And so while our kids may be too young to fully understand the ramifications of that, they are definitely feeling the instability that's just present in our culture and in our families because of these institutional failures. And then finally, the fourth thing that we want to talk about today is that um, our Gen Zers have some weak relationship skills. It's not anything that can't be overcome, but we just see that they're not reaching the same social maturity markers at the ages that we're accustomed to. For example, a lot of college students are not dating. They report that they find it um, more intimate and more um, that you have to put more of yourself out there to just sit across the table from someone and have coffee, that that is more intimate than being in a dark room and just having sex with someone that you met on Tinder. So it's just a very different understanding of relationship skills and the ability to um, build and grow and nurture friendships and romantic relationships. If you're hearing a lot of this for the first time, you might be like, what? Right? And it's a little overwhelming. And so we're going to repeat some of this stuff, um, but we're also going to try to give you some, some solutions, right? Some practical, because I think we all want that practical of like, what do we do now? Do we go and get a yurt in Central Asia? What is a yurt? Why would I go to Central Asia? So um, we are going to really look at this and, uh, and break this stuff down. But here's what I'm going to ask of you. As we're going through some of these practical things, I want you to really think about your context, think about your specific situation, and say, what is one, maybe two things that I can take away from this? Maybe what's an idea, maybe that I need to take to tweak, whatever, that I can apply? And what can I walk away with? Because it's great to be able to come to Home Field Advantage, but if we're not walking away with something really practical that we're like, this is going to better my children, this is going to better my family, then we're just wasting a Saturday morning. And I think we all want to go deeper in that. So I really want to challenge you. Listen for that one or two things. And so one of those things is good parents, parent. So again, this isn't like a, a judgment statement, but it's like saying that, hey, we didn't just reproduce and leave our kids to raise themselves, you know, that we're going to get in there and we're going to do it together, that we're going to work together and create this culture of, I'm going to look out for your kid. You're going to look out for mine. We're going to help each other. And um, I'm going to wear my button. I think the next time I have to set down a really hard boundary for my kids and remind them that I'm doing this because this boundary comes from love and I'm, I'm good parents. I'm parenting right now. So that's just kind of our reminder just to um, give us, just, uh, just to be able to say out loud that we're committing to doing this together, that we're going to parent. Um, our bishop put out recently this beautiful, oops, sorry, this beautiful um, apostolic exhortation. It's, it's basically a letter to all of us that are in the Diocese of Phoenix. And it comes on the heels of a letter that he wrote a couple years ago addressing the men of the Diocese of Phoenix called Into the Breach. This is kind of a follow-up called Complete My Joy. And it just came out um, a few weeks ago. It is a 
beautiful, really love letter to all of us that are raising families that are in the Diocese of Phoenix and beyond. I mean, Into the Breach has gone worldwide. Um, but in this exhortation, he just reminds us that by the gift of our own sacrament of matrimony, by the gift of being parents, that we have everything spiritually in us that we need to be able to be the best parents to our kids. And so it's just that reminder that as we continue to nurture those things in ourselves, as we continue to grow our own relationship with the Lord, that all of that gets poured out to our kids as well. So I, I highly recommend this in our effort to be um, parenting in an awesome way. But addressing um, social isolation, we want to talk about some real practical things. First of all, of course, having your kids in really good quality after school activities where there's a community aspect to it, where they're challenged to grow relationships is a great way to fight this idea of isolation. Because being able to talk to anyone at any time, anywhere is not having the same impact as the face-to-face -face emotional, um, real FaceTime of being with other people that are the same age or also caring adults. Um, I also would like to publicly admit my 180 degree transformation about my feeling of carpooling. Carpooling used to be something that I hated because it took long enough just to get my kid from point A to point B and then thinking about having to drop off all these other people that were in different neighborhoods and it just always sounded like a headache to me. And then one of my good friends, um, told me one day in a very loving way about how her own health and different circumstances in her life have meant that she has not been able to participate in ministry in the way that she always imagined for herself. But what she can do is drive. And she likes to drive. And she likes spending time with her kids. And so something really practical that she does is she is the carpool maven. And she has taken our kids to so many things that they wouldn't have been able to have a chance to do. Our kids have benefited from the relationships that have formed in that kind of white space that happens in the car where you can talk and be silly and you're sometimes it's so loud in the car that they're texting each other because they're in different rows. But it's been this beautiful community that now Scott and I both find that we're like, we're going to this cool thing. Can we take your kids with us? Like, let's just fill up the car. We've got, we, we had a seven seat van. Now we have an eight seat van because we wanted to have that little fold down seat to be able to bring people. So that's something very practical that it's something most of us can do that could help to kind of fight that isolation. The next is information sourcing. And, oh, here you go. Boop, boop. Information sourcing. Um, what do we mean by this? We know that technology is a problem. We talked about technology being a problem. Um, our kids are getting their information um, about sex. And if they're getting their information about sex and they're not learning about the beauty and the sacredness of what that is, of how God created it, then we have a real problem, right? It's become a, a pastime um, instead of a sacred union. Um, religion. If they're learning about religion from Google or whoever they're following on Instagram, we have a major problem in our society. There is something that has broken down when parents are not those primary educators of these most important aspects that are forming the way that they are thinking about what is going to really give them a strong moral foundation for the rest of their lives. And so with this technology, here's what I would suggest, that we need to know where, when, and how it is being used. 
where, when, and how it is being used. And the kids, they love to say, well, I have a right to my privacy. That's great. And here's what I would say. You do have a right to your privacy. If you have your own private journal, you absolutely have a right to your privacy. Guess what? I don't want to watch you go to the restroom. You absolutely have your privacy in the bathroom. But when it comes to social media, when it comes to the smartphone, if you will, when you have these middle schoolers that are carrying around a $800 computer in their back pocket, you do not have a right to privacy for that. What you have a right to is accountability. You have a right to accountability. So what we have to do is we have to reframe the conversation. We absolutely have to do that because I would say to my wife, too, if she grabs my phone, I'm not going to say, no, 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 no. She's like, well, why won't you let me know your password? Because I just don't. What are you hiding? Right? And it's like, I know my wife's password. She knows my password. We can look at each other's stuff. It doesn't really matter, right? It's open. We have this open communication. And we have to teach this open communication amongst our kids. It's not, a, it's not a, um, an aspect of distrust. It's an aspect of understanding the culture, and there's too many temptations. If there's too many temptations for adults who have a fully um, formed frontal lobe who can actually think and reason the way that we're supposed to, then I think it's probably too much for a lot of our children to be able to navigate these waters and just say, here you go, completely by themselves. When we think about, it's like, they have, a, they have a porn studio in their back pocket if they really wanted it. That's scary, my brothers and sisters. We have to be aware. And there's covenant eyes. There's a lot of good software that we can put on this, and I suggest doing that, okay? Um, but we need to have conversations, and we need to break that down. So one of the things is, um, does your technology have a bedtime? Is there a bedtime? For us, it's like 9 o'clock, we're out. So we're going to take all the technology, you put it on mommy and daddy's um, dresser, and technology's done for the night. It has a bedtime, right? They don't sleep with it in their rooms. It's, uh, it's been proven in studies that teens that sleep with their phones in their rooms get an average of one hour or more, they said, less sleep a night. That's significant. Why? Because they're up on their smartphones. They're texting people. They're watching videos. All this kind of stuff when we think that they're sleeping. So we have to be aware of that. Um, are there technology-free zones, like at the dinner table, for instance? And then do we abide by that, right? Because I know my wife would say, uh, honey, that, that, that's you too, right? And I'm like, I know. So I've been trying to get better of, like, I finally cleaned out some drawers, and I have stuff for all my places, and my wife's ecstatic about that. And then I just take my phone, I put it up on my nightstand, I plug it in, and I try to go back down to try to be present and not carry it around in my pocket right? I'm trying. It's a process, long process, but it's a process. Um, but we have to reclaim our homes. We absolutely have to reclaim our homes for what this looks like. Um, we are afraid of our kids being bored. We are. We're afraid of our kids being bored. For five minutes, if they sit by themselves and they're bored, what do we do? We panic. We're like, oh, they're bored. Yes, boredom is the gateway. Write this down. Boredom is the gateway to creativity. We have to allow our children to be bored sometimes. We have to give some white space. This is where God speaks. It says God speaks to the heart in silent love more than any other language. Do we believe that? Are we listening to that? How are we entering into that in our homes? So technology, bedtime, time-free um, 
technology-free zones, reclaiming our homes, and reclaiming the conversations that we're having within our homes because of that. And then just briefly to address mistrust of institutions, um, it is, it's a good reminder and life lesson for all of us that you know any institution, any human institution is made up of humans and it's not gonna be perfect. You know, So I think a response to mistrust of institution is um, to, to be faithful to the institutions that you find that are important to your life, to be faithful to weather the storms that happen in the, the institution of the Catholic Church, to, um, you know, you're still going to probably take your money to a bank, even though we've seen that they've made mistakes, you know. Keeping all of your money underneath your mattress hasn't always proven to be the best thing, right? Um, but more than that, I think that it's just a reminder and a helping to cultivate in our kids that, the only person that's worthy of our trust is God, that anything else is going to leave us empty. So just being able to um, cultivate that relationship with God, to remind them that that is someone that they can trust and to model that yourself, that is so hard for me. Boy, do I love to be in control and in control of every aspect of our family life and my own life. And sometimes it's only when I have lost that feeling of control that I will turn and put my trust in God. I'm working on trying to do it all the time, trust all the time. But another thing I want to bring up is just cultivating in your Gen Zers the ability to trust themselves. I cannot tell you how many times I've been talking to a middle schooler, a high schooler, a young adult here at the parish, and I'll ask them, like, hey, what's your favorite movie? I don't know whatever, you know, where should we go after, after, uh, you know, the event tonight? Do you want to go to the coffee plantation or do you want to go over to, you know, another place? Whatever, whatever's fine. And it's like, make a decision. (laughs) I think giving your kids the opportunity to make these little micro decisions day to day, guess what, Peyton, you're going to choose where we're going for dinner tonight, that that will help them to have confidence in their bigger decisions. We have found with our kids that most of the time they have to choose between something good and something equally good. They're very seldom having to choose between something really terrible and something totally awesome because those choices are easy. And it can take forever. So we're just trying to (laughs) move them along a little bit to make a choice. kids I think it's it's a fear of disappointing us so one thing we did with our eighth grader is um, we homeschooled for 10 years and our eighth grader wanted to go to high school and we gave him some choices and we said we're not gonna make the choice for you we'll walk you through and we'll show you what some of the different options are and you know we we think these are all equally good choices or we wouldn't have presented them like we don't want you to go to the terrible school you know they're all great schools and it was weeks. It was weeks of, of prayer and all, all kinds of stuff, tears, all kinds of stuff, you know. But finally made a choice. And we're like, phew, because we're going to have to do it again in four years when it's time for college. <laughs> <laughs> Last section is the mistrust. Oh, I'm sorry. The weak relationships. Our kids, oh, my goodness. Um, 
they do not know how to carry on a good conversation sometimes. I'm just going to say that. Sometimes. This is an area that they really struggle with. Because what happens is they have their phones, and somebody texts them, and they calculate a response, and then they're like, mm, no, erase that. And then they're going to retype it, and they're like, mm, is that what I want to say? Yeah. Do I want to send an emoji? Mm, maybe. Yeah. Oh, that one? Mm, no. Let me. Yep, that one? Yep. Good. Got it. And then they send it, right? And it's like, for the love of God, just talk to us, right? And so they always are thinking about their responses. And so we see this. I see this at Life Team. We see this in the edge all the time, that you ask these kids a question, and they're like, I don't know. I'm just afraid to say something. Even when, when you set up a completely non-judgmental situation and scenario, and you're like, hey, dude, you're loved here. I just want to hear your heart. I want to hear what's going on. There's no judgment place. And they share and it's, like, frightening. They do not want to say the wrong thing, okay? We're losing that ability to have some deep and meaningful conversations with our kids. And we have to be the ones that are helping them enter in to these conversations in a different way. One of the things that we've done is table topics. So sometimes at dinner, mom will throw out a, usually mom, mom will throw out a conversation topic. But what you can do is you can have all the kids write down, what would you like to talk about? Throw some things that you'd like to have some conversation about and have them write that, throw it in, throw it into a bowl, right? And then every dinner you pick one out. It doesn't have to be every dinner, but every once in a while, right? You're picking one out and you're going, oh, tonight we're going to talk about homosexuality. No, it's not good. But tonight we're going to talk about whatever, what's going on in your lives, right? We're going to talk about um, friendships. We're going to talk about good things that we need to be able to cultivate. And it doesn't even have to be something really serious. It can be what's your favorite restaurant and why. Because we just need to help get our teens talking, just talking, thinking, and not always just like formulating a response, but actually listening to what the other person is saying and formulating an intelligent response. I think that is so key. One of the other thing is we have to make time for our kids in the ways of individual time. So if you have multiple kids, you know, Jill just went on um, a date with our 12-year-old and said, hey... We're going to breakfast. We're going to do this, right? I have hiking with Ella, my 12-year-old. I have bike riding with my almost 14-year-old Faith, and we go bike riding. And with my son, I play tennis. And we make specific times to try to do those things on a regular basis so we can connect. It is so much fun going on a two-hour hike, and we're skipping, and we're making up, you know, all these scenarios. Um, we actually have the Bagshaw Catholic Hikers um, with Ella, and she came up with a logo and everything. I mean, it's a big deal in our house. So... These are the things that, how do we continue to enter into these depths of conversation? Um, prayer on the way to school. Finding areas where we can pray that maybe we're not necessarily making it a huge deal, right? Let's sit down and I'll pray a rosary for 20 minutes. But maybe we're just saying, hey, what do we need prayers for today? And then leading a prayer on the way to school. Invoking some saints and giving them some education about um, that. Praying always before meals and no excuses. Praying before bed and actually going with them, kneeling next to them in their bed and saying, how was your day? What are you really grateful for? Framing that for them because they need that. Um, we both feel that it's an immense privilege to work with your kids here at St. Patrick. I work more with young adults, but um, Scott works with high schoolers. Um, in my capacity in music, I get to work with the um, middle schoolers on retreats and with the young kids like Vacation Bible School and stuff like that. 
We love it. We love it. It's such a privilege. I think that this is an amazing generation of kids, and our future is very, very good. We just um, need to be this community of, of parents helping each other out and grandparents and influencers. Um, so we're going to close in prayer, and I just would like to offer, if you don't pray with the kids in your life that are important to you, um, I'm just going to share a very simple way that we pray the structure that we use sometimes it's 20 minutes like when we were homeschooling we would have this beautiful prayer time I miss it so much now that our kids are in school it can be very brief so it's very adaptable but what we do is when we start with the sign of the cross we simply um, give a name of adoration to God something that reminds us that he's in control that he um, he is almighty then we will give thanksgiving and usually we go around and everybody has a chance to give something of thanksgiving. Then we pray in petition, like, who do we know that needs prayers today? Um, I often will pray for each of their teachers because they're with my kids all day, you know. And then um, finally we ask for our, our friends, our heavenly friends, saints, to pray for us. So that's how we're going to close today, very briefly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for being um, Lord of our hearts, Lord of our lives, Lord of our families. We give you thanks today for this, this wonderful group of parents, um, caring, loving adults who are here um, just because they love the kids in their lives. We thank you for that. We thank you for being a God that we can trust. We thank you for this parish community here at St. Patrick where we can have support in helping to raise our kids in the faith. And God, we pray for those parents right now that maybe feel lost, feel overwhelmed, who feel like their influence or their kids are just spinning out of control, parents that maybe feel um, sad, maybe disappointed by how things are going. We pray for them and we lift them up to you because we know that you can heal them. We just ask for... Um, all the saints in heaven to pray for us on our journeys as we um, walk with these kids and realize what a privilege it is. We particularly ask for St. Patrick to pray for us. We ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Homily Podcast. We are Christian disciples in mission 